0: All right, hello everybody. Um, welcome to our first episode of the Food, Lo- um, the food Lovers Elective, a craft conversation series. Um, we're really excited to have you guys here today. Um, so today's episode is Cheers Queers! Um, exploring the LGBTQ space in um, the food system. So, We just want to really welcome everybody Um, at CRAF we we seek to foster a transformative regional food system in western Pennsylvania that recognizes the central role of food systems in our society and the values of the people who live and work within them. We envision a food system that is equitable, fostering fairness and transparency across the value chain a system that is sustainable, actualizing economic, social, and cultural well-being as part of the food system, and a food system that is inclusive, valuing dignity, sovereignty, and the inherent power of all people. With this in mind, this week's episode is called Cheers Queers, Exploring LGBTQ Spaces in the Food System. Our host, callan Norman, is a dual degree food studies and MBA student at Chatham University. Today she's interviewing Ralph Morrow owner co-owner of 5801 Video Lounge and Bar to explore the importance of gay bars to the LGBTQ plus community and how food and food activism makes space um, makes space for queer voices this episode will take about an hour with the last 10 to 15 minutes reserved for Q and A. So feel free to submit your questions using the Q and A feature on the bottom of your screen. We also should have the chat um, the comment section open. So feel free to comment amongst yourselves and um, we hope you really have a, you have a really, you guys really enjoy this cause we really had a lot of fun putting this together for you guys. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and hand this off to Kala and let them get started.
1: Right. Thank you, Ani. Um, and thank you, Ralph, for sitting uh, sitting today to talk to me. Um, I just wanted to give a bit of background to where um, I'm coming from, and you know what inspired me to uh, t- to talk t- to you today and uh, to like t- have this conversation about queer spaces in the food system. Um, you're un- you're uh, muted, by the way. can't be a zoom conference. Oh, there. without. How's, how's that? That's perfect. Yeah, I can okay. hear you. I can hear you perfectly loud and clear Sorry about that. It's okay. What is a zoom conference without, you know, saying, Oh, you're on mute. Yes, it's just how it is. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's always been something that's really interested me. It's something that I feel like in food system, we often uh, talk about in the peripheries. So I'm really excited to get a actual real-world conversation with somebody who is active in the food system and in the lgbt community yes Um, without further ado let's get started
2: my my dog is is causing an issue and i know you told me not to but i don't have any other place to put him
1: oh it's okay we'll uh we'll make do and i mean gotta love animals and in zoom conferences anyway you know a little bit of flavor
2: he continues Hold on one second. Let me let me try something different. But if I go away, he's gonna really get upset.
1: All right. Yeah, no problem.
2: Okay. Hopefully he will settle down in a couple of minutes.
1: (laughs) Oh, fantastic.
2: Uh, I'm sorry. This is not working either. I'm so sorry. You guys were very clear about this.
1: It's okay. It's how it, it, it's how it happens. You know, it's either kids or it's dogs or, you know, roommates or something like that.
2: Oh, my goodness. Okay, I think this might work.
1: You got the dog in your lap now?
2: Yes. Yeah, yes.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, um, I'd love to lo- know a little bit about you. Um, where'd you grow up?
2: I'm from the area i'm originally from uh, moon township so out by the airport uh my mother and family still live in the same Well, my mother now lives in the same house that we grew up in and uh so i've lived in this area my whole life i live in the thornburg area now so we'll call it Crafton or robinson <laughs>
1: cool um so what led you to stay in pittsburgh and to start a business here
2: well um I went to Robert Morris College and uh, got a business degree. And uh, after coming out of school, got a couple of different jobs, and uh, eventually settled in in the uh, airline industry. And was in the uh, in-flight department, you know, writing training programs and doing things of that nature uh, for the in-flight department. And uh, through uh, sports, uh, met my business partner uh, playing softball and. We were out on a softball tournament. And at one particular point in time, we said, yeah, you know, we should get into business together and uh, own a gay bar. And over time, that came to fruition.
1: That's awesome. So OK, how did you go from working in the airline industry to working in the restaurant industry? Like, did you always want to be a, a bar owner? Or how did what did that look like?
2: Um, I. I would say I've always had a business mind or, or something along those lines and always had a desire to work for myself. Um, and, uh, you know, have to have some of the autonomy that goes with, you know, making your own decisions and answering, uh, you know, to your um, own uh, abilities. Uh, so uh, I wouldn't necessarily, it didn't necessarily have to be a bar, but, you know, we were out drinking at a bar after a softball game and we said, oh yeah, we should do this and it. And, um, over time, uh, I became familiar with some of the other gay bar owners in the city. Um, and I'll say they took me under their wing and gave me some advice and uh, a tip that this particular bar w- uh, was for sale uh, along with the building that uh, houses it and wanted to see if we were interested in it. And we were.
1: Yeah, so um, from, for those of you who don't know, and I previously didn't know because I'm new to Pittsburgh, but so ralph and darren bought 50801 in 2005 right yes and then you remodeled it refreshed it you added the uh, video screens that you're now famous for um so what was the whole intention behind these um these additions behind refreshing the menu and adding in the videos uh, well
2: yeah at that time the bar was called new york new york when we bought it and um it had been Uh, it had always been a gay establishment to my understanding for many years. And um, it was for a while, it was a more upscale and fancy uh, restaurant um, Mm -hmm. that also had a small bar. And through time and the previous owner, they had, you know, remodeled a little bit, but the the menu had gone from being more upscale to more bar oriented. And um, at that time, I would say, bars for the gay community were beginning to transition from uh, dark, uh, no one knows that they're there, um, hidden um, spaces to spaces that were much more out and open. Um, And there was at that time, back in the early 2000s, there was a bar called True on the north side, which at least for me, for my own personal uh, knowledge, was like the first really nice space that you could say okay this is for us and it's nice it's not some dark dingy place that you really really wouldn't want to take your mother to or something like that let's say and so that was sort of the idea that we had uh that we wanted or at least i can always say it's like okay um but i take my mother here if i would take my mother here that was a good decision if it if it didn't lead to (laughs) a place being established that i would be proud to take my mother then we weren't making the right decisions. Um, and, you know, so things just went from there.
1: That's awesome, yeah. Um, so what role do you see these changes in making these spaces more accessible, more open? What uh, What role do you see that in terms of creating a sense of community within your bar?
2: I, uh, if I had to say, you know, I think it, it helps with understanding and acceptance uh, is how I would describe it. Um, that's sort of what at least maybe in the past um, uh, searching for acceptance and understanding was maybe a little bit more important than it is now because there's so much of it. Uh, And, you know, we're, we're all, each generation is standing to a degree on the generation before that, you know, did things that made things a little bit better for the next generation. And I've, stood on those other people and now we'll say we're trying to provide a platform for the next generation to say, okay, they're going to take, like yourself, you're going to take your next steps forwards um, and build on the things that have already happened.
1: That's nice, yeah. Um, So where do you see queer bars fitting into the food culture of Pittsburgh in particular?
2: Um, I'm, I'm not so sure about how they fit into the food culture, except that I do think that It's it's going to be more incumbent on uh, bars to not be just a bar, but to provide something to eat like when we, you know, for the most part, um, when we started, you know, the other gay bars didn't really I don't want to say they didn't have food at all, but they didn't have like a menu and food. They might have a buffet or things like that after events or, or something like that. But for the most part, there wasn't anything that really was a gay space that, you know, was a bar and a restaurant at the same time. Um, the restaurant side of the business, although at the beginning was m- more minimal than it is now, um, it has slowly grown throughout the years to, to be uh, a much bigger part of uh, the whole uh, facility and establishment.
1: Yeah, and it's so important to have those spaces where it isn't just about drinking and dancing, as fun as those things are. You know, it's, a really, it's great to have that place where you can go and just sit around the table with people over a, you know, plate of wings or something. Right. Yeah. And yeah.
2: when we've always been big on activities, so um, it's never, I'm not saying there aren't times, you know, Friday and Saturday night, people want to go out and socialize and they don't want activities going on and things like that. But there's enough hours in the day and the week to provide a variety of uh, events and uh, programs, if you want to call them, like we've had dart leagues and poker leagues and trivia and bingo and things like that over the years. And um, we've always been a big believer that that is something that A, we like as the owners here and B, that we think is beneficial for our customer base.
1: Yeah, and so those activities, I mean, they sound like a lot of fun. I mean, I love trivia nights. So I'm, I'm gonna have to keep that in mind for sure.
2: Um, trivia is Tuesday and Friday right now. So uh, it's Tuesday's very popular.
1: Ooh, okay, okay, noted. <laughs> Um so in with these events and just with the operations of the bar in general like what does community building look like to you in the in the context of of this gay bar both you know before the pandemic and now
2: Yeah um I'll speak to that mostly before the pandemic because I think now is still undetermined Um I mean I think we're going to we want to continue the same things that we did in the past but how that's going to be changed uh is still a little uncertain. Um, I am working with some organizations right now to try to do some things in the next couple months. Um, so we're working out some details. But um, we've always felt that this establishment, um, being such a focal point for the community, um, at least in our estimation, um, it's incumbent upon Not as not only do we want to do it, but I think it's incumbent upon the owners of this business to um, support. Uh, the community as a whole uh, to the greatest extent that we can um, we're you know providing space for organizations to come together um, providing um, support for um, the different even off-site events where you know shepherd wellness is raising money and they used to do a big event at the city theater and we would provide all the liquor and beer and things like that for the bar so that they could sell tickets and, you know, make money. Uh, That was one of their bigger fundraisers. Um, There's a variety of those events over the years that we've done. um, And we used to do our drag brunch before um, uh, COVID. And, you know, there was always a collection for a a smaller local charity. Um, I I call them grassroots local charities, uh, places like True Tea and things like that, um, that these fundraisers you know we're talking about a few hundred dollars um, but for some organizations a few hundred dollars is critically important and for some organizations they a few hundred dollars i mean it every little bit helps but you know uh the bigger organizations um uh require different support so we've tried to help the, the bigger organizations where we can and but also not forget about the smaller places that um a few hundred dollars and a little bit of exposure of, that their organization and group um, exists even um, I've always also th- you know there's new people coming of age every day there's new people coming out every day there's new people moving to Pittsburgh every day so for small organizations it's a never-ending bad not a battle but it's a never-ending job to continue um, awareness you know some you know you move, like if you're not from here, you yourself, you move to Pittsburgh and you don't know, I mean, you can look them up, but you don't know of anything uh, until you, have you know, coming into contact with. So I think that's a big part of it too, exposure.
1: Oh yeah, I can totally see that. Um, So I am actually curious about these smaller grassroots organizations that you all support. How does that relationship come to being? Do they come to you? Do you seek them out? Do your drag performers bring them? Um,
2: Most of the time, Um, for some of them in the beginning, we sought them out. Um, We have uh, lots of friends uh, in the area that do a lot of uh, uh, differing things. Um, uh, One of them is uh, Sarah Rosso, who's a Chatham grad uh, and right now runs the Hugh Lane Foundation and used to be in charge or uh, an executive director or whatever at Persad. Um, Very talented person who is very connected with a lot of these um, uh, organizations. And I played softball with her, that's how we met. Uh, was her manager and she, we played together and she's a wonderful, wonderful person. And so, you know, you, you tap the resources that you know and so I'd say, Sarah, it's like, okay, we wanna do this and we wanna reach out to some of these places where a few hundred dollars makes a difference. You know, give me some names of some of these organizations um, and, you know, we'll contact them. And so that was at least a, a starting point for how to get in touch with, um, organizations that quite frankly, I was not completely aware of. I mean, I've lived in Pittsburgh all my life, but I'm, you know, we're always learning ourselves. New organizations are starting, um, you know, all the time.
1: Oh, yeah. And especially now, you know, as, as different needs come up. Um,
2: Absolutely. And then moving forward, I mean, I I think our core mission, you know, um, core community mission, I'll say is, you know, to continue, is to continue to support um, organizations um, as they need it, as they approach us, us and ask for help, or um, as we can reach out and provide a little bit of additional help. Uh, we're working with Stonewall Sports. Um, right now, they uh, they had to cancel most of their seasons uh, last year, um, but they are having uh, the Stonewall kickball season. So Stonewall kickball Pittsburgh is going to have a season that's going to start in a couple weeks. Um, I think it's April 25th or something like that. And they always have a big uh, kickoff party and we help to support that.
1: Oh gosh, that sounds like so much fun. Yeah. Um, so I do wanna talk a little bit about the pandemic. Um, what, okay. sorts, what's, what sorts of things uh, have changed for 5801 because of it?
2: Um, uh, everything. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's um, a big question.
2: <laughs> you know, um, the first thing to change, and, and I'm not complaining, I want to be very clear, but the first thing that's changed is is, is the true struggle to uh, provide employment. Um, you know, we've had to lay off a lot, a vast majority of the staff, um, but also uh, through the help of the PPP loans, we've been able to uh, remain open and to uh, pay some of our management staff and things like that, you know, therefore the full salaries that they were getting before. Um, and, you know, just to keep people, again, keep people employed, I would say is, or, or ensuring that we're keeping people employed is to me the number one challenge that has taken place. Um, it's, uh, we have a good staff, um, but uh, it's, it's just a challenge. Um, the the rules, um, Uh, for the pandemic as it relates to the restaurant industry have been um, challenging (laughs) Um, uh, and um, making, you know, a a large percentage of our business was made um, after 11 o'clock at night. And so, and I I do admit that that is largely bar business, Um, not food business, but the bar business enables the food business to be in business if that makes any sense the bar business is what enables us to give money back to the community and things like that that's where that money comes from uh if we're being honest about it at least in my business um so those hours have been taken away from us and um it's just been uh, financially impactful
1: yeah i can see that i mean it's a, it's a good thing for you guys, at least that you did have the food aspect of things, because I know that so many other places haven't been as lucky.
2: Yeah. If we, yeah. If, if we didn't have a food aspect of it and we weren't able to add one, that, you know, that, I mean, I've seen some things going out and about. It's like, here's a peanut butter sandwich. I don't really think that was the intent. But also yeah. at the same time, I, uh, my own personal opinion is it's like, okay, why do you have to have a chicken sandwich in order to have a beer? Uh, to me, I, I personally don't agree with that, but um, I'm also not at odds with um, you know maintaining a safe environment uh, and a you know a pandemic um, safe environment for my staff, myself, my customers, everybody who comes here. You know, we want it to be safe. There's no question about
1: that. Right, and I mean, you know, kind of as you were saying earlier, is that a lot of kind of the image of a gay bar has so often been kind of dark crowded um you know more dance board places and mm-hmm. although those can't quite exist at the moment it is nice to have still those places where you can go and be out in public um and and so like i can see how it's, it's like totally valuable and you know food is a conduit for that is is really important well.
2: I think if, if we've learned anything, or if I've learned anything, because I don't want to project my uh, learning or whatever I've uh, gained or gleaned out of this whole thing, is you know, how really important the you know, social aspects are to our life that we might have taken for granted. It's like, okay, you get up in the morning and you, you go to work and you're interacting with people and then you go to see your mother and then, okay, friends, let's go out, whether we eat or have a drink or whatever, but we're going out, we're just standing around talking and chatting. And then on the weekends, we play sports. And, and all of that pretty much a lot of it went away Mm -hmm. and it didn't just go away for a couple of weeks. It went away for a year uh, now. And that's been, I, I don't know, for me, the, you know, I haven't hugged my mother in a year. Uh, That's, that's an astonishing statement to me. If you really think about that small thing, uh, you know, that's, it's incredible. So I think that, you know, the, the loss of the interaction and things like that with, um, with people to a degree where at least for me, your your big thing is, you know, I'm a, I am ai don't want to do, I mean, I'm less concerned about me, but I'm concerned about like my mother or my friends or the people that I'm around, you know, you don't want to make them sick. And so I think, you know, there was a lot of fear that was associated with it, at least
1: for me. Yeah, absolutely. So besides the pandemic and before and during, like what other, forces have you seen influencing uh, 5801, you know, be it gentrification or things like that?
2: Um, I think that we've just, you know, over the years tried to um, change and expand based on our interpretation of what we saw as, if you want to call them, the community and or market forces. Um, we've, we spent, a number of years making the facility into the facility that is today. Like the there was always a back deck, but in the beginning we added a little tented bar that was on it. Then we added to the bar or to the deck and made the deck a little bit bigger. And then um, we put the the large enclosed uh, patio bar that's out there now. And I would say that's um, our belief that um, the community in this area is vibrant enough and strong enough to support that um, uh, financial uh, investment um, the community is out enough for using a, a, an old-school term um, that it'll be that, that acceptance is there and the people want need and should have nicer facilities nicer places um, you know so we continue to you know try and upgrade the facility so that it uh, represented um, a standard that we felt we should be projecting if that makes any sense and and what our customers although we didn't have surveys what we believed our customers want um now that's you know sort of more of a feel or guess work rather than you know market research that we did uh you know it's sort of a little different
1: yeah absolutely um, another thing i've been like really curious about and like about getting a bar owner's opinion on this is um, one thing that I've noticed a lot in, in my experience at gay bars and that a lot of my friends have have had problems with have been, you know, acts of voyeurism by uh, like, you know, straight audiences coming into gay bars and, or like, you know, bachelorette parties coming in that, that are for like a, a straight bachelorette party, for example. Right. Uh, what what are your thoughts on those, those kinds of events? Um,
2: well, I, I, to my knowledge, and maybe I'm, naive or maybe I'm oblivious I don't see that happening a whole lot if at all here I've never seen what I would call the voyeurism aspect that you're saying where somebody wants to we certainly have had um, bachelorette parties and for the most part they're harmless and you know they're they're coming out and I, I you know I view it to a degree. It's it's, it's and, and maybe I'm looking at it. The glass is half full instead of the glass. Not that you were saying anything that makes it the glass half empty, but mm-hmm. to me, the glass is half full. In that, okay, every time someone comes into my establishment, that is an opportunity to change their perspective about our community. If they had an adverse perspective, they can come and say, "Hey, this is a nice place. Oh, service is pretty good. Oh, the people are nice. You know, there's there's not." people having sex in the middle of the bar or something. I don't know what, what, what they envision may or may not be happening, but it's not any different. Um, And, you know, so I, I view that as, as a chance or, or an opportunity or a hopeful message that can be, it's like, okay, this was fine. And then they can leave and say, oh, that was, there's, there's, there's nothing here to fear or to have a negative emotional response about or whatever it might've been that brought them in under those circumstances to begin with.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in some, in, and it is very important to have like a place, you know, for to be our space and to have like that community, but- Oh, you know, for
2: sure. If, if, if there was ever something, without going into negatives, because we, we almost have, to be honest with you, we truly have almost have no negatives, but there was one negative, incident one time and I'm like okay you need to leave um, and it was along those lines and it doesn't need to be repeated it was just okay you need to go and that's the only that is the one and only direct incident in 15 years that I personally was involved with or even am aware of from any of my staff from incident reports and things like that so I don't believe you know that that is something that is transpiring here um, on any meaningful numbers
1: yeah um, so kind of on that note, and this doesn't necessarily need to be, you know, about Five Eight One, one, but just like just in general, um, of queer bar culture in general, what, what problems do you see in, in the culture and do you see any solutions towards them?
2: Well, I, I think the one of, I don't know if it's a problem, but one of the older aspects of, uh, gay bars, if you go back to when I was younger, so going back 20 or 30 years, um, it's seemed it seemed, and when I first came out, I, I never understood why we had to have a gay bar and we would have a lesbian bar. I was like, well, what's the problem? I would think we would all just be together and get along. And I came out later and maybe again, I was naive, but th- you know that's everything. Okay. Here's your leather bar. Here's your twink bar. Here's your dance bar. Here's your lesbian bar. Here's your gay bar. You know, uh, those, I thought that they, they were fine, but to me, they, they created separations within the community that to me wasn't completely, didn't completely make sense to me in the very beginning of my, um, I'll call it coming out educational experiences. Um, and I think that, and I travel a little bit uh, to other cities and I think that the numbers of those uh, bars that have a specific segment that they, um, that, are, that they're almost exclusive to has diminished. And I I personally, this is just my personal opinion, think that's a good thing because I think, and if I'm happiest about almost anything is the inclusiveness that this place has. Everybody comes here from, you know, every segment of the community. And I hope anyway, or we strive that they'll all feel comfortable and that that it all suits their needs. It's tough to be all things for all people all the time. um, But I think that we're moving in that direction. And I think this app, this establishment tries to put that at the forefront.
1: Yeah, and I totally agree that, uh, you know, gay bars such as 5801 should strive to be, uh, you know, a a place where everybody can come and be together. Though, I I do know that there are a lot of people, including myself, who who think that, you know, having these spaces, like especially lesbian bars, uh, are very important because, Mm -hmm. or, you know, other spaces, you know, for instance, of uh, spaces for transgender people. To have these places where, um, you know, that are sometimes, you know, safe from, you know, sexism or transphobia or those kinds of things, where in, you know, some places that strive to be fully egalitarian don't always quite make it. Yes. Um, And like, you know, there are only 13 lesbian bars in the entire United States now, you know, that are specifically lesbian bars. Um, and you know I've, I I personally think that some of these that are disappearing is a problem because okay. like, not having that space um, but yeah I um, but it, it is I, I agree with you like totally important to have like spaces where everybody can come and be together
2: De- definitely I mean I, I didn't mean to say that uh, differing spaces don't create opportunities but uh, uh, it it bec- to be honest, it, it, at a certain point, it becomes um, a business numbers game. Uh, yeah. You know, you, you, it, is there enough um, customer base in whatever city you're talking about to support mm-hmm. um, uh, something that is uh, that might not have that enough support? Uh, and that's why I think it's important for places like this mm-hmm. um, who have the ability to you know we need to provide that support because it's not being provided to you potentially in an exclusive other location
1: yeah no i, I totally agree with you there i mean not everywhere could be like what what is it west hollywood that's the all word <laughs> and really yeah. everyone is yeah um let's see so where do you see queer culture fitting into the food system in general
2: uh, since, you know, some of the stuff that we've been uh, talking about and I've been thinking about, um, uh, it, I, it's hard. I, 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 I don't know that there's such a strong connection between queer culture and food beyond, you know, the normal connection that, you know, any culture has towards food. Um, hmm. You know, certainly here, um, we are providing what I would call Uh, Darren provides most of the recipes and does most of the cooking that's the other owner Um, and I think he's an excellent cook but we're certainly not chef driven and we're not going to be confused with Gordon Ramsay or anything like that uh, anytime soon Um, uh, so uh, I I, I don't know how to answer that is basically what I'm going to say and I'm sorry that I don't have a better answer than that for you
1: yeah, you know, it's such a tough question, because I feel like it's not, as I said earlier in our conversation, I feel like it's not something that, like, we personally talk about in food system or food studies all that often either. Um, for me, when, the way that I see queer culture fitting into the food system is through, like, the concepts of mutual aid and community building, um, like potlucks. Potlucks are a really queer thing, actually. Um and you know, a lot of it, you know, came from activism and people come having to come together with very, very limited resources, and you know, bring, you know, bring food and feed each other, you know, while having these long discussions about equality and about, um, you know, building building up the community. So that's what it means to me personally. Um, and that's
2: that's sort of something that we did well in, in the support phase um, in the beginning portions of the pandemic. Uh, going back to uh, the Tulane Foundation again, they were um, we supported them by uh, donating food and also donating space where we stored food for them um, and uh, provided boxes and organization. Meaning, okay, we want to uh, here's all these boxes and here's all this food. They need a space to. Organize it, put it all together, and then that would be a t- box of food that they would distribute to a community member who was in need. Um, so we certainly have always done that and um, supported the the all of the local food banks to a degree, um, whether they were uh, queer focused or not. Um, but this uh, pandemic relief was uh, focused on the queer and transgendered community uh, that uh, the Hugh Lane Foundation supports. So we we always help with those things
1: yeah and i that that is just amazing um so my my final serious question is what can people do consumers do to to help lgbtq plus people in the food system
2: uh um i think that there's there's more people in need than people realize and i would say uh this is going to be a little bit more broader, and I'll try to bring it down to the food system, but I think um, people with some means and, and um, some uh, comfort in their life will say meaning they're not struggling, um, should, even if they don't need the services of a lot of these smaller organizations, etc., cetera, should become involved a little bit more to understand um, what these different programs are providing and how they're providing it, um, and then uh, volunteer or write a check, or um, I, I think even more than volunteering, I think, I'm sorry, writing a check, I think more volunteering and getting involved, I think is uh, a big thing. And you know, how that fits into the food system is you, you find that one organization that is in need uh, and provide, you know, ask, hey, what do you need? You know, um, I, was, uh, I know that this, again, this Lane Foundation has some uh, services out in Beaver County which is near um, uh, where my mother lives. And anyway, I just had some uh, some recourse to provide some food uh, if I can. And I'm, I haven't done it yet, but I'm going to try if I can to, to one of their centers out there because I might have some, some food that I can donate. Um, and there's more people that are in need than you understand or mm-hmm. the, the average person understands. I was speaking with uh, one of the I'm not sure if he's the new executive director, uh, but one of the people in charge of Shepherd Wellness, and they provide um, support to uh, people living with and affected by HIV. And they're one of the largest, not largest, longest um, uh, HIV organizations I think in the city. Um, but anyway, they the food they provide a dinner every week. I think, don't quote me. But anyway, long and short, they're having some problems. their Their cook got hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. If, if there's people that are involved with that organization that, that can then say, okay, well, wait a minute, I can volunteer and help out while they cook who's making these dinners for people who need it. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, the, the food takes a lot of things. First of all, food is, uh, you know, disposable to a degree and that, you know, so you, you have to have refrigerated space or you have to have frozen space someplace to store it, even if it's a dry good. So it, it requires space. It requires handling, which is manpower, and then it requires so. There's lots of things that it requires before you even cook it, Um, and then you have to cook it, and then you have to deliver it, and and so that whole process along there. There's a lot of pieces along that way that can be helpful, uh, you know, in addition to just the food itself.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and you know, to the end, especially with like HIV positive people a lot of times, you know, they need a, a special, um, you know, food to be specially created or um, like different, different preparation, different nutritional factors for it. I, I just, I don't know the, quite the details, but I, I,
2: don't, I don't know either. And I think there's the, that, I don't want to, uh, the dinners, that dinner also for them is a very social interaction where they feel like that they, they, they get their, um, uh, that's their comfort space where they can come and be themselves and 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 not be judged and things mm-hmm. like that and um so there's a it's become and this is what food is food is communal um yeah. sorry um, i don't hold on wait hold on i think i think You're back. It, it just said my um battery's low
1: oh no well uh we should 20 we're,
2: we're, we're good for now
1: yeah we're good <laughs> Um, but yeah, exactly. That, um, the communal aspect of food is so important and it's why spaces like 5801 are fantastic because it's like having a place to, you know, as we've, we've gone over, over and over and it's almost a cliche, but, you know, coming together over food, it's so important.
2: And you, just to go back to the other, to things we talked about, you know, if you're saying, okay, how can we help in the food area? Well, again, you might just have, you know, the ability to store food. Like I'd said, the space to store it or, uh, or something like that uh, for an organization that you know, needs extra space or needs a refrigerator. You might say, okay, well, I have this old refrigerator. How, uh, I'm just gonna get rid of it. Well, it might be something that helps within the food delivery process uh, of keeping something cold. Uh, if you don't have enough space to keep it cold, it's, it's a
1: problem. Yeah, totally. Uh, well. Uh, As we wait and see if anybody else has any uh, further questions from our audience. I have a couple of fun questions.
2: Okay, go for Uh, it.
1: Yeah, so what's your favorite item on the menu at
2: 5801? We've we've always had this, uh, it's a wrap. Um, It was made up by one of our staff uh, whose name was Nikki, Uh, And so we call it the Little Nikki, and it's been on the menu ever since. And it's just, it's chicken fingers, uh, french fries, American cheese, um, ranch dressing and barbecue sauce in a wrap.
1: <laughs> French fries and anything is such a Pittsburgh thing.
2: Absolutely, exactly.
1: But oh man, that sounds good. I like just ate and that sounds really good. Um
2: it's good but, comfort food. It's it's and it's good bar food. It's simple, it's easy, and it tastes good all the
1: time. <laughs> yeah. And like honestly, what's better than bar food? You know, after uh, you know, at any point. I agree. Um, besides five eight oh one, what's your favorite queer bar that you've been to, or LGBTQ plus centered space? Um,
2: I, I, I I I and I go to the, all the places all the time um, uh, to a degree. Um, I've I've always been a little bit uh, fond of the Harris Grill because they're next to us, and I would call that a queer space. I wouldn't call it a queer bar. One of the owners is gay, but. Um, uh, it's, it's a very, it, it, it is a place that I consider to be um, extremely gay friendly or if otherwise, you know, they've always supported the gay community. Um, I've, over the years, um, I've always gone to Brewers a lot uh, because it's a good spot to go after softball. Uh, the owner there is very nice uh, and that she's done a lot of really good work for the community as well um, and giving back. And, you know, updating her space and making it nicer and everything and adding some outside space that she's done in, in the near past. Um, I could go on, but, you know, a lot of the places that I used to go to, they're all gone. Um, the holiday and things like that, uh, you know, that have the the old Eagle was always a fun place on Saturdays years ago. If, if you wanted to dance and things like that, a lot of the spaces have gone away. Um, but the places that remain are still, um, they're still fun places to go.
1: Yeah, uh, for me, I wanna give a shout out to my favorite bar in um, my, at my undergrad town. It was called The Back Door, which I okay. think is a very great name for a Absolutely. Bar. Yeah. Okay, so it doesn't appear that we've got any questions uh, so far. So I think we can uh, wrap it up. I have one more question for you though. Sure. And um, so that question is, if you could think of a dish already existing or imaginary that you think perfectly represents queer culture as you see it what would you what would it be
2: oh my god um that perfectly represents queer culture oh i <laughs> uh, i like so many different types of cuisines um i'll i don't want to i don't want to say something uh, the, the, the i'll say something um anything cuz i'm old school I would say some old Julia Child French uh, comfort food dish, like um, oh god, I can't say the uh, I can't say the name of the dish that I. Um, it's made with duck meat, but it's it, it's slow roasted. It takes a long time. Um, it's very fussy, um, and uh, you know maybe I'm fussed. maybe <laughs> maybe I'm a fussy old queen. I don't know, um, but I would say something. Uh, from that's French Julia Child comfort
1: food. Ooh, yeah, I feel that, you know, like from that same era, James Beard, he was gay.
2: Um, okay.
1: Yeah, there's a really, um, there's a really great uh, biography out there called The Man Who Ate Too Much, I think, by John Birdsall. All about I, him, all about, you know- I didn't know life. that,
2: see, you learn something new every day.
1: Yeah, James Beard, you know, the James Beard Awards? Yep.
2: Mm-hmm. Big old queer. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah. Uh, We actually do have a question. Uh, So, you know, I faked you out there. Uh, So Elaine wants to know, um, as a straight person who considers herself an ally to the LGBTQ community, how can I best support these establishments while not infringing on a queer space?
2: Um, Well, at least to me here, you know, come on out and join the fun. Uh, You know, if you're an ally to the queer community, um, it's not like I, I... I don't mean to be offensive to one person or another, but, you know, everybody's welcome here um, that wants to come out and wants to, um, you know, have a good time and, you know, is a supporter of what we're trying to do uh, within the queer community. Um, So I would say, you know, come out and, or um, again, I would say find a a small local organization that's mission um, means a little bit more to you than maybe one of the other ones and, you know, donate some of your time and, and uh, show that we're all in this together.
1: Yeah, Elaine says, great. She loves spending her money at Fiveta1. So yeah, <laughs> come on, we'll go to trivia. It'll be fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, that's. I think that's all we've got. And uh, thank you, Ralph, for uh, taking the time today to, to be on this panel. Um, and yeah, thank you, everybody. Thank you, Ani, for making this, uh, this space uh, you know, available. Absolutely. Thank you
2: so much. And if you guys ever need anything, if we can help you, uh, in any way, uh, please feel free to reach out and, um, uh, we try to support everybody that we can. Yeah.
1: And
0: go out to 5801. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you everybody for joining, um, our very first episode of the Food Lovers Elective, a craft conversation series. Um, we want to share our internal um, gratitude, um, to Ralph of 5801 Video Lounge for their time. And, you know, the, just the knowledge that you shared with us today. I really appreciate it.
2: I had a very fun time. It was very conversational. Like we talked about that it was going to be, and, uh, hopefully, um, it sounded good.
0: Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> okay. Um, so please be sure to follow them on Facebook and Instagram at 5801 Video Lounge and visit their location on Ellsworth in Pittsburgh. Thank you to Cala Norman for her work on this episode and the care she took in participating in the very first episode. So a round of applause for Cala for doing that for us. Really appreciate you. Um, Chatham community, if you wanna see what it takes to be in Calla's seat as a student moderator for future episodes, please click the link posted in the chat which I will do in just a second to fill out the submission form. You can also email us at craft at chatham.edu for further information. Please take a few minutes to fill out our survey so we can continue to improve um, this series and really be able to tailor it to your interest. Also, follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, last but not least, please join us next week at 2 p.m. To, um, for Foodimation, the Intersection of Animation and Food. Frankie Williams, the Food Studies um, master graduate student, will interview the Senior Vice President of the Jim Henson Company, Sydney Clefton to discuss how animators create food on screen that looks so good to eat. So have a good day, everyone. See you next week. Like I said, I will put the link in the chat, but also email us at craft.chatham.edu if you would like to be a part of um, our next conversation series. All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.